0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels, and I'm delighted to have you with me on this sports podcast where we discuss all the hot topics in each of your favorite sports, just about every sport on the face of the earth. Today's show features an NFL draft recap with Matt Wittenberg. That's up first. We discuss the Browns going Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward 1-4, and not the conventional start that people had in mind, the unpredictability of the first round where the quarterbacks went and who are the best late value picks. Also some head-scratchers in the first round and beyond as well. And then Steve Lenevy, friend of the show. I haven't chatted with him in a while. We're going to discuss the first month of the baseball season, some interesting developments there in America's pastime. It's Matt Wittenberg and Steve Lenevy on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect, time to recap a wild NFL draft calling in front of the show. Rare call in appearance, Matt Wittenberg. Thanks for joining the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Normally, like to make my uh, Money Mitch Effect appearances in person, but unfortunately, wasn't able to make it work today. But uh, we made it happen still, so no days off.
0: Yeah, the literal literal and figurative kitchen misses you. Um, but hey, we're uh, we're doing this remotely. Uh, and I promise not to. I was, I was going to talk about the pros and cons of the draft, but also your opinion, the pros and cons of uh, shortstops getting major Tommy John surgery, if you care to comment.
1: <laughs> major, major con if it's happening to your team's uh, shortstop as it is to uh, my beloved Corey Seeger. So, yeah, definitely been a up and down uh, sort of sports weekend. Loved what my Cardinals did in the draft, but and then having to hear uh, this unfortunate news today was just yeah really uh, brought me back down to earth. Can't Base- have
2: nice things forever.
0: No, no, you can't. Baseball's been baseball's always such a long grind. Uh, having a player go down this early, it, it just sucks. Regardless, especially young talent in baseball. But if there's anything we know about the Dodgers, they're resilient and they make their push later. They could overcome this, but I think it just compounds how weird of a start this has been.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not the start you would have picked out for this team at all, coming, what, one game short of winning the whole thing last season. But, yeah, up and down. Actually, not really up, just mostly down.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sh-
1: shoddy bullpen pitching. Kenley Jansen's not who he was last season. Justin Turner still needs to come back from injury, so... Yeah, all around, not not how they drew it up. But, hey, now if this means that we'll trade for uh, Manny Machado at the deadline, wow. then, hey, silver linings.
0: Yeah, I don't remember Jansen <laughs> falling off the mound last year, so uh, maybe he'll just work on his balance a little bit. But, all right, got to talk football. we got to talk the NFL draft. It takes a lot this time of year to get me you know, changing channels from the NHL playoffs and some NBA playoffs. But the first run of the draft had it, and it usually does have – high drama but this year was heightened I can't remember a time when so much was in flux with the top picks and for the most part it lived up to and exceeded the billing well, let's start with my team the Browns because I mean, when do I ever get a chance to start with the Browns in an NFL discussion I mean let's just be honest there but they had the first and the fourth picks <laughs> and they went shocker they went Baker Mayfield 1 and Denzel Ward number 4 both of those moves surprised me a great deal I think I was I was kind of passed out. I was just waking up from being in shock to see the Ward pick. No, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was stunned by both equally. And we'll start with Mayfield because that day of the draft, we heard the rumblings. Everybody who follows the sport, who follows sports media and is online, saw that Mayfield was being talked about. It started to change. The tide right. started to turn. In your opinion, before we get to to whether or not we agree with it, why do you think the tide moved late? Do you think that the Browns – were hesitant up until the last moment to pull the trigger. Do you think they were high on Mayfield the whole time? What was it about his late push to going from an undrafted player or on, going to a walk-on to the number one overall pick?
1: Yeah, how about that? Now he can't really use his whole uh, chip on my shoulder type thing since he's the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really interesting process, and I'm I feel like they probably keyed in on him fairly early on and played this one extremely close to the chest. So. I, yeah, the whole Dorsey and Haslam making it out to Darnold's pro day and sitting in the stands there was good. I feel like that they were still probably keying in on Darnold at that point, but yeah, it's difficult to say when they actually really keyed in on Mayfield to be the guy. And like you mentioned, we didn't really hear that this was an actual possibility up until maybe the night before the draft happened. That's when it really started yeah. gathering that theme. So. Yeah, I, really interesting cause, yeah. obviously, against conventional thinking. But, hey, I mean, I guess conventional thinking hasn't always been the Browns' strong suit. So we'll see if this takes them anywhere different.
0: So I just want to say, I am, and you know, I've been a Darnold guy for all these quarterbacks. That was the one I would have taken, and he Absolutely. seemed to be in the lead going into this. But I think, look, I, I think that all it came down to was they were not totally in love with Darnold, Rosen, or Allen. Mayfield was... Probably their, I mean, I'm sure obviously in retrospect was their favorite, but they didn't get, you know, the quote unquote out. Like everybody has sentimental favorites who they would like to take, but you, Mm -hmm. the the thought process is you have to be blown away if the prospect is, if you have a better prospect, the tape's going to tell the truth and you're going to take the guy that has more talent. So in this case, I think they found themselves in a sweet spot of, We don't really fully love the California quarterbacks. Maybe we have issues with them in warm weather or in cold weather versus warm weather. Whatever the reason may be, turnovers, accuracy, motivation, um, seriousness, whatever it may be. They liked Mayfield, and they felt like whether it's one, I think the number was the stigma that they had to overcome because it was the first overall pick. At the end of the day, Witt, even though I disagreed with the pick, He doesn't even have to be, Maker Mayfield doesn't even have to be the best quarterback in this class. The Browns have such a low bar, such a low threshold for success that all he has (laughs) to do is be a good quarterback. If he's a good quarterback and they win games, no one's going to care if Darnold's better, if Rosen's making pro balls. If Mayfield's winning games, this will look as a success. And if he's not, everybody in that room who is clapping will be fired.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: absolutely the case. I mean, you can only forecast so much into the future with this thing. It's not far from an exact science at all so I feel like the whole leadership aspect and intangible the guy winning so many as many games as he did in college I feel like that's probably what ultimately swayed them to make the decision I personally I think Baker Mayfield's going to be really good but I don't know if I would have made that call at number one I feel like I would agree with you and would have gone with Darnold the guy who probably has the highest floor out of any of these quarterbacks going into the draft this year so you know that you don't bottom out and get an absolute bust. But, yeah, I feel like that they thought that just the sheer leadership, charisma, talent, mm-hmm. accuracy, mobility, that, that that package was just uh, – that package in one quarterback was just too much for them to pass up on at number one. And, yeah, they they really have to hit it with these two guys. I mean, this is it for them, or it's going to be a long, long – and, well, I should say another long, long decade of pro, subpar uh, football at the Factory of Sadness.
0: <laughs> I really appreciate that at the end there. You were making good points until that little dig. But, no, I, uh, Tyrod <laughs> Taylor is in there, and he's going to be the guy to start, so you don't have to rush him in. I feel really good about that, letting him sit and, and letting Tyrod Taylor. I mean, obviously it's a competition. If Mayfield beats him out, he beats him out, but I like the fact that you have an established guy. A mediocre at the, at the at worst quarterback in there that can make plays, and I am all for trading down as we're about to get to. But when you trade down at a quarterback pick, then you take it out of your own hands. So, hey, if you believe he's the guy, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you pick him one, four, twelve. It does not matter. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm rooting for him because obviously I have to. And it, it was very <laughs> a very interesting start to the draft. That fourth pick, though, wait, I wanted to discuss that because you and you know that I'm a huge Denzel Ward fan was one of my favorite Buckeyes this past year. And I've always been saying, yeah, this is where this is where karma comes back and just kicks me in the face. I had always been saying it would be nice to have some Ohio State players but on the Browns, but unfortunately it came at this. They got a need at number four Denzel Ward over arguably, maybe not even arguably, the best player left on the draft board at that time, Bradley Chubb. Do you think that drafting the need here was a good idea if possible, would you have traded down? I mean, it's very conceivable based on a lot of mock drafts, which we know aren't gospel. But in a lot of the research before the draft, Ward wasn't coming off the board until 8, 9, 10 at the earliest.
1: Yeah, another, I mean, like like you sort of referred to earlier, two really head-scratching calls that went against like all of the forecasts that were at, out there leading up until the day before the draft. But I feel like Chubb definitely would have been the safer call to make there especially pairing him up with Miles Garrett on that defensive line. And Emmanuel Ogbo is coming along there. So their secondary is obviously not a strong point for them. That's kind of why they made the ward move, but by adding such a dynamic pass rusher and by all, all accounts, Chubb is that getting the Von Miller comparisons and everything and gets to play with Von Miller. Now that front end is really what helps you mask sort of the holes in your secondary. And you can't have too many good pass rushers on that line. So, I like again going back to sort of Mayfield I feel like Chubb has a way higher floor than Denzel Ward has and then at worst you're getting a a solid starter in Chubb whereas Ward has maybe a little bit more of the bust potential not saying that he will be a bust of course just it wasn't the safer call that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it, I'll say as far as I can tell Greg Greg Williams will need a cornerback in his secondary. He values them as much as anybody. Now, we're we're basing this assumption like all these guys in the Browns front office and coaching staff will have jobs for years to come. (laughs) But based on the team, I get the need. Like Their cornerbacks have been pretty atrocious the last couple years. So there's this different theory that do you want to load up on pass rushers like some teams do? Maybe it's a luxury when you have guys that you can count on at least somewhat in the secondary. So I get the football argument. I just don't mm-hmm. know if there wasn't if there was anything there. That's one thing. And maybe the Browns love the guy. And again, if you love him and he pans out, no one will ever care about this pick or where you took him. Uh, I would have just no liked doubt. To, to know. <laughs> I would have liked to, maybe in the back of my mind, selfishly like to read that there wasn't anything on the table trade-wise or that another team really coveted him and they took him before he could get taken. Uh, but it's interesting, and and that's the thing. Like they 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 went against the grain. Not saying that's wrong. How do we really know what any of these drafts mean? We're just speculating, but it's very, definitely very fun. That's for sure. Yeah, it's. I
1: mean, we won't know until maybe three, possibly four years down the line. How if that was the right call to make? But nonetheless, it's fun to speculate and forecast ahead. I mean, that's why we're talking right now. So it
0: certainly, is. always a
1: good time to. Take a shot in the dark
0: on those. Matt Wittenberg, Money Mitch Effect. Let's go kind of in the middle of those two brown picks. Sandwiched between them were the two New York teams, Giants at two, Jets at three. I think everybody pretty much had it figured that the Giants would take Saquon Barkley at number two, and then the Jets de facto Mm -hmm. get Sam Darnold. Then suddenly trading up with the Colts, giving up all those second-round picks looks pretty good. I think these were, after the Mayfield pick, certainly there, to be expected. I wasn't shocked by this at all. When I overcame my Mayfield shock, I was like, Okay. Barkley two, <laughs> Darnold three. It just made too much sense, didn't it?
1: Yeah, now we're going going shock, and the Jets probably get the guy who they would have taken if they had the number one overall pick. So yeah, they make that trade up with the Colts and look like geniuses for Darnold, or I guess at the time, right now they look like geniuses if Darnold becomes what you and I and a lot of other people are forecasting him to become and ends that sort of parade of misery at the quarterback position that the jets have had for, I don't know, almost as long as the Browns, but yeah, Saquon Barkley, I feel like yeah, was way too good to pass up at two there. You could have made an argument that the Browns would take, could have taken him at one and then maybe somehow still could have gotten Baker Mayfield at four. And that might've been an option for them, but yeah, you and I watched mm-hmm. a lot of Saquon Barkley football the last couple of years. Did. The dude, as dynamic as they come, he's that same sort of Ezekiel Elliott type mold, maybe a little bit of a better pass catcher, a little worse blocker. But, yeah, he's going to make plays. He's going to be electric. And Darnold is, yeah, the big question mark if he's going to recapture sort of that freshman year success as opposed to his sophomore year with the multiple turnovers and fumbles, not as many weapons around him as he had in his first year starting there. So he's going to have a shot, but the jets also don't have too many (laughs) weapons to get excited about right now. So I feel like it might be a little bit more of an adjustment period for him there than people are expecting.
0: Yeah. Darnold to the jets. I have no qualms about that. That was a money pick. Um, Him and McCown, a great pro to learn from. It's going to be so boring in those quarterback meetings, but that's good. Good for, (laughs) good for Darnold to learn from a true pro. (laughs) Barkley is yeah, <laughs> sometimes is good. He, he, sometimes Boring is very good. Barkley is a great pick. He's a great player. But I wonder if the gap this was one of those weird years where you have so many quarterback hungry knees, the Giants didn't feel like they really needed to address it. And there was a lot of running backs later. So I was still even even when the, all that stuff was going down, when Darnold fell to two, I was thinking maybe a trade out would be something smart to to consider because you know the offers were there. The Giants loved Barkley. I think he's the best running back, clearly, in this class. But I also think a lot of other running backs are going to be very, very good NFL players. So it was a little different to see. That fifth pick scared the hell out of me with Bradley Chubb going to the Broncos' wit because that's going to be a nasty defense with him now added in there. Yeah, and so That's O.A. <laughs> doubling down on his strength, saying we weren't really in love with Rosen or Allen. Agree or disagree on that. But, hey, you know what, Case Keenum, he got there with a defense that might not have been as good as the one he's playing with last, this next year.
1: No, not at all. So, I mean, that they have made out like bandits in that first round. I know them and the Jets were probably the two teams who never expected players to fall to them who did. So, good on them. I'm glad that for selfish Cardinals reasons, I'm glad that the Broncos didn't decide on tra- on taking a quarterback. So, that one worked out in my favor as well.
0: It did. Then you had the Colts take Quentin Nelson, which Andrew Luck probably stood up on the table and yelled, Finally, when they took an actual lineman <laughs> high in the draft, Josh Allen seven. The Bills trade up to get Josh Allen. They move from twelve to seven with Tampa Bay. And this is another interesting one because there's no quarterback, probably even even with Baker Mayfield thrown in there, that have more question marks about the next level in terms of accuracy and can he throw at this higher level than Josh Allen? I don't know if it's going to work out with, but I I can't think of a worse. I can't think of a better, I should say, situation for him. A team that's in love with him, that wanted him over Donald and Rosen, that's going to mm-hmm. give him a chance to play a very basic, a very you know, at least that first offense. And I think it's a good situation to be in in Buffalo, where you can rely on Shady McCoy for a few years.
1: Yeah, that's true. Out of any of the quarterbacks who went in the top ten, he absolutely has the highest bust potential, but maybe the highest ceiling if. Mm-hmm he lives up to, you know, that cannon arm and all of the measurables and everything that teams look for in a big pro style quarterback. So yeah, I'm not sold on him at all. His level of competition wasn't great in college and he didn't exactly set the mountain West on fire. I know like the talent around him wasn't anything outstanding, but still when you're supposed to be this prototypical pro quarterback I mean and you complete less than 60 percent of your passes it's not not a great sign for forecasting the future obviously he's going to have a shot to uh, get in there learn from pro coaches have more talent around him so he'll have every opportunity to reach that sort of peak that he wants to but I'm not sold on him at all I don't know if AJ McCarron's the best quarterback to be learning from (laughs) out there in Buffalo (laughs) but yeah, Shady McCoy there really helps out a lot, and hopefully he's not thrown in right yeah, at the start right. and gets to sit for maybe the first month or two of the season, or if not the the entire entirety of his rookie right. year. So
2: moving he's, he's up, yeah
1: really like I said, the one that has the biggest bust potential out of any of these top top four guys.
0: Moving up from twelve to seven wasn't exactly giving up the farm. You know, you didn't they didn't push higher than five or six and I felt like that was kind of telling when they weren't trying to move all the way up to two or three. And I and I think mm-hmm. look, I mean, they could have taken Rosen who we'll get to in a second, but I, I don't think Rosen wanted to play in Buffalo. <laughs> so I don't think he would have fit in well too No, I get I get that too, but hey, this is a gamble. All these picks are gambles and a lot like the Browns, a team that's needed a quarterback, if it works out, no one will care. Everyone will gladly in Buffalo admit they were wrong in this case. So I'm excited to see what Josh Allen brings. We went Bears 8, Roquan Smith. The Niners took the tackle. Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. How about that, Two Notre Dame linemen in the top 10. And then, Witt, your Cardinals trade up. Yeah, top 9. Yeah, top 9. Then your Cardinals trade up to 10 to get Josh Rosen. They move up to Oakland, which I have have a few thoughts on Oakland's draft, but I'm going to save them for after this. Uh, Arizona, (laughs) Josh Rosen, number 10. Your thoughts? You had to be thrilled. This couldn't have been a better situation for a team in desperate need for a quarterback.
1: No, I was, yeah, and I was working in the office at the time when the pick went down. But if had I been at home, I probably would have done a couple of cartwheels <laughs> around the apartment. But I couldn't be more excited about about the move to get him. Only giving up a third round pick and a fifth round pick to move up those five spaces, five spots for by most accounts, the most pro-ready quarterback in this year's draft, a guy I've gotten to see play in person a couple of times. And, yeah, personally, the his whole attitude and demeanor thing, that wasn't a big uh, big dissuading factor for me at all. The dude's competitive as hell and knows he's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If he's going to work his work his tail off to be the best quarterback he can be, I mean, I'm all for that added confidence and saying what's on your mind. So I'm super encouraged by it. I'm glad that Steve Kahn was aggressive and made the move up because, I mean, let's be honest, you can't go into a season with your quarterback options being Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon. So from that standpoint, I'm super excited getting him in the first round, obviously having five years of him on a rookie contract. So now's the time to build around him and hopefully maybe get Larry Fitzgerald for, I mean, at least this year, maybe one more. So, yeah, right. things are definitely looking up in the desert, and not to mention the second-round pick with Christian Kirk, another weapon for him to grow yeah, with. So, yeah, he, couldn't get, couldn't he, have been more excited.
0: You know he, was, he gets to come home, too, Christian Kirk. You know I was a big Kirk fan. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite receiver in this class. It was a good draft. The, the one thing you touched on, though, I'm with you in everything, except he has to prove that he's going to take his job seriously in terms of being an NFL pro. Not saying he can't. But there's more than just showing up showing up uh, on game day at, at practices and balling out. He's a professional now. He's got no, to be at the meetings. He's got to be paying attention. He's got to be the leader in the locker room. And that's where whether we're going to find out if there were real criticisms or not. You know, He's going to have to be a pro at this level. And it's not for everybody. But I mean, with his arm and his ability to make plays, the Cardinals got to steal. Matt Wittenberg, money, Mitch Effect. Yeah, absolutely. The rest of the first round, I want to touch on some picks that stood out. If you have any, please feel free. Eleven at the Dolphins, Mika Fitzpatrick. Love that pick. I thought that was yeah, phenomenal value for Miami. And the other one in that range that I was, uh, the other one in that range that I was a big fan of was the other safety. The Chargers get Derwin James at seventeen. I mean, those are some prime, surefire, ready to start safeties at late first, mid to late first round.
1: Yeah, a lot of people pegged Derwin being a top-ten pick through most of this process. So, yeah, the Chargers secondary is pretty damn scary now. And Minka being – I mean, he started as a freshman for Nick Saban. So, I mean, that's really all you need to know about that guy. He makes plays everywhere in the secondary. Dolphins are going to have a lot of options on where to line him up, and they have a day-one starter in him for sure. The one that really stood out to me in that – oh, go, go for it.
0: I was going to say, everybody always says like, oh, well, Saban plays him around. We're not sure where he's going to play. They said that about Landon Collins. He fell to the first pick of the second round. Fitzpatrick will be fine. <laughs> he's, he's going to play wherever yeah. you need him.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't worry about him at all. Dude's but, too good.
0: But who is the other And uh, the,
1: Like I said, the one that really stood out to me in that range was uh, Davenport to, Marcus Davenport to the Saints just with what they had to give up to move up. Yeah to grab him a first round pick in next year's draft I don't even remember the rest of what they gave up I'm sure there was another pick involved but yeah giving up a, a one is generally reserved for moving up for a quarterback so they have to be extremely sold on what Marcus Davenport can do and I mean he's got a lot of uh, potential for sure a lot of guys say that he's raw and gifted but just yeah his level of competition and is he going to be able to translate to the NFL as fast as they want him to? So that was a big uh, big sort of head-scratcher for me, especially giving up next year's one.
0: I want to say really quickly, too, Vita to I'm a fan of his. Tampa Bay moved back and, t- and took him. should be interesting to see where they play him. There's always reaches in these drafts and, and critical things that we need to criticize in the mm-hmm. moment. We could be wrong, but it looks like everyone's agreeing with us. What are the Raiders doing? That's my first thought, because they don't get much of anything to move down with the Cardinals, and then they draft Colton Miller from UCLA, who I've seen get Darnold injured at least twice with my own two eyes. <laughs> so I don't I, mean, I don't know there. They trade a third-round pick for Martavis Bryant. i got to look it up, but I don't think Randy mm-hmm. Moss went higher than a fourth back in the day.
1: <laughs> no, they were so, one team, yeah, that sort of left you scratching your head after this entire process and kind of... Get, trying to figure out what John Gruden's playing up, maybe he had too many years away in the booth. And I agree with you Odd Miller. That was really big head str- scratcher there at 15, especially a team that has a lot of other needs. And especially at wide receiver, if you can take in Calvin Ridley there instead of switching a three to get Martavis Bryant, who's been suspended I think two or three times in his mm, career. So
0: just it'll
1: be interesting to see how that shakes out for them. And I know they really wanted to take uh McGlinchey with but with the 49ers taking him their pick before right. I mean which I'm thankful for because then that meant that we could swap with them to get go up to grab Rosen at 10 so I'm thankful for the 49ers for that one but yeah if the Raiders are one of those teams that'll be interesting to see how their class plays out in the next two three
0: years yeah Gruden might be stuck in 1999 huh? unfortunately the, the side <laughs> effects of time travel um some other picks. I thought Dallas, the Cowboys, taking the linebacker Vander Esch from Boise. It's intriguing, but he has some mm-hmm. serious game potential. The one thing is, he's a guy that you wouldn't like to rush out there. The problem is, it's it's who it's Sean Lee and uh, Jalen Smith, guys with some serious injury problems. So he might have to play big minutes right away. Uh, Rashad Rashawn Evans to the Titans. I like that pick a lot. Um, another one of the, another one of Saban's beasts that just is going to show up, you're going to plug him in, he's going to play. I wanted your take the wit on the other receivers that got drafted in the first round. D.J. Moore went 24th and to the Panthers, Calvin Ridley 26th to the Falcons. Moore is supposed to be the number one that they've never had, and, and we saw him in college, he's a beast. And I got chills thinking about Ridley teaming with Julio Jones in that offense.
2: Yeah,
1: the Ridley pick was an interesting one to me because... When you think of the Falcons, you don't really think of wide receiver as a super area of need for them. I mean, obviously they have Julio out there who's gonna be the number one guy no matter what, but then Yatsunu and Taylor Gabriel, who are all fairly decent above average options too, especially going in the first round. Generally you target somewhere who where you have more of a need, but right. I guess they just had Calvin Ridley that high that much highly rated compared to whoever else was left. On their yeah. board,
0: so I, I just they figured, think, why yeah. not
1: double dip there?
0: I think part of it was look at how they lost some games in the playoff game too. They had Julio, but they didn't have a lot of other guys that can get open and take the heat off of their number one. Julio had the injury problem, so I get it. There's not much missing on this team. They want to contend and they want to win now, um, and more. That was just an about absolutely, time, and more was just an about time pick for the Panthers. Since Steve Smith left, they haven't had anyone. It was funny to see him say that he feels like now he's been replaced. This is the first time. But Moore great, had great no help. Bite. Moore had no help in college. His quarterback tears his ACL first game. He was a one-man band on a very, very terrible Maryland Terps team.
1: Yeah, I think they by the end of the year, I think they were down to their third or fourth string quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. There at Maryland, but yeah, I mean, Carolina has been needing no. a true number one. That obviously Kelvin Benjamin didn't work out there. They shipped him off to Buffalo, and Devin Funchess is a solid, solid probably number two top-end guy, but he's not a burner the way that DJ Moore is. So good for them, good for Cam. And they have, still have McCaffrey, gives you an option in the passing game.
0: Yeah, let me uh, tell Greg
1: you, Olson's still out there, too.
0: Let me tell you my least favorite pick of the draft. Number 27, Seattle Seahawks, Rashad Penny. Nothing against the kid. <laughs> nothing against the kid. But why would you even <laughs> go running back here, first of all, when your defense is stuck together by Band-Aids and duct tape? You have a line need that Offensive I mean, line your too. line needs, too. And then you take the running back that arguably might not might not be in the top four of running backs left at the time of the pick. Very, very curious. I'm thankful, yep. too, because the Browns got Nick Chubb in the second round, and this move had played a direct part in it. So thank you, Seahawks. But I'm saying that as not a Seahawks fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a fan of a team that rivals them in the division, I was pretty happy with the pick. But it, it's other than uh... – other than Marcus Davenport, the trade that the Saints made to move all the way up for him, that was probably the biggest head scratcher for me in this round. So, yeah, a guy that you could probably get in the second who was, I don't know, he tore Arizona State up, but then again, every running back did last season. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's not a exactly very, the highest, <laughs> that's a very highest good bar point. to go off of. <laughs> you know, the Patriots and, yeah, get. Yeah, that definitely. I was going to say the Patriots get Sony Michelle at 31. Which I thought was a great I'd value, <laughs> yeah, great value pick over him, and and I was a little con—I wouldn't say confused, but intrigued by the by the fact that the Patriots had two chances to get Lamar Jackson and they didn't. They took the two roommates from Georgia, win, and then Sony Michelle. But I know we got Lamar Jackson. The Ravens traded up to get him. It's a great long-term play by the Ravens, but the Patriots not getting him and not really addressing the quarterback position when you have a soon-to-be forty-two-year-old, albeit the greatest of all time. A little intriguing
1: <laughs> Yeah, maybe the whole uh, them being enamored with Lamar Jackson during the pre-draft process, maybe that was overblown a bit. Maybe that was by design a smokescreen from good old Belichick out there. Yeah, super interesting. They don't address QB until, what, the sixth round when they took <laughs> Danny Etling, of all people, who was – I mean, LSU hasn't <laughs> had a good quarterback in – probably as long as the Browns haven't had a good quarterback. Jeez, so yeah. that's not exactly an awe-inspiring pick to begin with. So, I mean, they they really have to believe that Brady's got at least three years left in um, him. I, Otherwise, I they definitely <laughs> wasted an opportunity to get I, – I don't either, but
2: I'm just years. trying to Whoa. look at
1: their standpoint, why they don't make yeah. a move there. So.
0: Yeah, Brady had, that I, yeah inter- I, Brady had that interview today where they asked if he felt valued by the Patriots, and he said he pleads the fifth. And his I did thing see with that. Gray, so, <laughs> well, it's interesting there. Well, Mar's going to do fine in Baltimore. It's going to be a play of sit, see if Flacco has anything left in the tank, and then we'll slowly mm-hmm. see if we can turn the offense over to you. As we wrap this up, with what were some of the uh, later-round picks that you were a fan of? You mentioned your team, Kirk. I like Chubb and going linemen. Um, and Geis falling to the Redskins, they had some issues, but that was another one that I like. He can start right there. What was some of the uh, some of the picks you liked in the second round and beyond?
1: Uh, well, this is a fourth round pick, but and I'm admittedly a little biased with this one. Mm-hmm. But Kalen Bilodeau yep. from, from ASU to uh, the Dolphins was I thought great value for him. I feel like he's got a situation sort of similar. I'm not get, saying he's going to be Alvin Kamara, but where he came from a college offense that just didn't utilize him enough for whatever reason, mainly coaching for one. So he doesn't have the tread on the tires that a lot of these other running backs do. And he's, yeah, just a physical specimen out there. A running back six three two eighty can run a, I think he ran a four five at the combine and catch the ball out of the backfield. So given the right coaching and, an offense that actually gives him the ball. I think he's going to have every chance to succeed. And for uh, fantasy football purposes, I feel like he might be the uh, goal line back down there in Miami. So that might be one to uh, watch out for too.
0: Yeah, two picks in the second I really liked back-to-back. I liked Pettis going to uh, San Francisco, the receiver out of Washington. He's going to be an Mm -hmm. option for Jimmy G, and I think he's going to get catches. He's going to be a nice receiver for them. Josh Jackson, I was a fan of his. I thought he might go in the first round going to Green Bay, continuing the uh, Iowa to Green Bay trek that Mika Hyde started uh, <laughs> was a nice addition there. And I hate to say it, shout-out to our friend, friend of the program, Rob Crowder. Now I have to hate his <laughs> Oklahoma State Cowboys because they're both Steelers, so sorry. Yeah, I will never lose them. <laughs> if that's the future of the Steelers, sorry. I hate it. I hate you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... uh they obviously felt super comfortable with that uh, that dynamic. And is Mason really the uh, heir apparent to Ben? I guess we'll see next couple of years. I mean, guys have been talking about retirement. I feel like the last like three or four years. So maybe I, it'll happen He has to beat out a uh, good old Josh Dobbs though for the backup job. So right. have a little uh,
0: oh wow. Sean
1: Sullivan Rob Crowder uh, rivalry <laughs> didn't, for, didn't even, for the Steelers backup QB.
0: Didn't even think about that. Wow. Um, another pick, I'm gonna show some bias here too, right after Mason Rudolph actually the Bengals took Sam. I Hubbard. was
1: just gonna say that one. So Hubbard he
0: was on a loaded D line at Ohio State, which means your numbers aren't gonna be what they are elsewhere. I know I sound like I'm making excuses. The other thing is, like a lot of different people that are late bloomers, what you know, he didn't play D end until he got to college. Never played D end in his mm-hmm. life until he got there. So I'm willing played to say lacrosse too. Yeah, heck of a lacrosse player. I'm willing to say that as a third round pick this was great value. Um, and who knows? I mean, we're going to see a lot of these players develop uh, develop late. And, uh, I mean, there's steals in this draft for sure. Um, a lot of Buckeyes went late, some Arizona State players as well. We had our local fix on as well. But I'm convinced that we're going to be seeing some pro ballers in the, dra- in the back end of this draft because we always do. It's just how it happens.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And even some undrafted guys will end up making – big impact somewhere it's just yeah some guys slipped through the cracks and impossible to predict so but it's fun to speculate no doubt
0: and hats off again to Shaquem Griffin that was so cool going to the Seahawks and playing with his brother yeah great story really really great story there Um, very inspirational and uh before I before I leave you with this was a blast as always did you see who's projected to be the number one pick next year
1: well, I mean, I've seen. I know who, what you're getting at, but I, to be fair, I think I've seen Ed Oliver mentioned a okay, little bit more right. than uh, than Nick. Bosa,
0: okay, but all I, right. No I disrespect, got, to that Oliver. There's some talent on. on the D line. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I no. Come on, we it, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be Small Bear Nick, um, which he's gonna be the only number one pick ever that would get totally annihilated by a sibling who plays the same position in his family. So <laughs> that's. Gonna, that, I don't know if I've that <laughs> stat, but uh, that's true. That, I remember you. <laughs>
1: The, going back to the uh, BOSAs, I remember you mentioning that uh, Urban Meyer went up to mentioned it to their parents if they had any uh, plans on having another son anytime soon to help coach him up. So, Incredible. yeah, uh, thankfully for Michigan or Ohio State's opponents in the Big Ten, it looks like the uh, Bosa pipeline is going to be ending after next year.
0: <laughs> and I know we got a year away, and anything can happen. It's too early to speculate, but. Yeah, it looks like half of the top 10 picks could be D linemen. So very different than this year. Very, very different. Yeah, of yeah. A and Complete Oliver 180. And yeah, so it'll be fun to see how that changes needs and everything there. But Matt Wittenberg, total blast as always. We'll try not to do this remote thing too much, but thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking some NFL draft.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me, as always.
0: Huge thanks again to Matt Wittenberg for calling into the show, the road game, so to speak. It was an interesting NFL draft. I say that every year, but this year, the uncertainty of it all really, really was uh, phenomenal and uh, great for TV as well. A lot of new faces entering the league and it should be exciting. Next up, Steve Lenevy here to talk MLB, the first month of the season. Baseball is back and it always takes a little time to get its footing. You've got this, the winter sports playoffs to compete with in the NFL draft. Baseball's been very interesting. If you haven't paid attention to it, it's been some fascinating times in baseball. We're going to break down each division, some teams that are hot, some teams that are cold. It's Steve Lanave to talk baseball now on the Money Mitch card All right, now time for On the Money Mitch Effect, a nice baseball discussion. We haven't really dove into baseball with the winter sports playoffs in full effect, but one month of the season has gone by. And to recap, a very interesting time of the baseball season back on the show. Steve Linovy to talk baseball. Steve, thanks for coming back on the program.
3: Happy to be here, Mitch. Thanks for
0: having me. I always consider this time the the interesting, kind of unforeseen time in baseball where it's not in the, the full front of American public consumption, but a lot of interesting things happen in that first month of the season. It's hard to believe we've already gotten through just about a month's worth of games. Some teams have actually played 30 games already, and a lot of teams at the top are some teams we would expect, some teams we wouldn't. I know it pains us both, but when we go with the American League East to start with that division, Steve, it's about the Red Sox and Yankees yet again. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Both those teams look pretty strong in the first month.
3: Yeah, it does seem like what is old is new again uh, with Boston and the Yankees really so far ahead of everybody. Toronto, who I think is a good team, their head-to-head against those two teams has just been rough this year. And I, I don't think it's going to get any better. So I think it's really going to hurt their chances at uh, what they thought was going to be a rebound year. With Boston, it, it's really a case of an embarrassment of riches. Um, I know they've kind of leveled off in the last few games, but that start they had was so hot. Betts and then J.D. Martinez of the last week has gone has gone pretty bonkers. That offense is the best hitting team in the league, and their pitching is not much, uh, not much worse in the top five. Bogarts is coming back, and... I mean their average OPS on their team right now is 800. so really, <laughs> what else can you ask for, right. especially with one of your best players about to come back? But the Yankees are the Yankees are hot on their tail. I know that I think they're eight and two in their last 10 now. No nine
0: and one now. But uh,
3: <laughs> nine, yeah nine and one now then, huh. And they're anchored their offense is anchored by DeB Gregorius right now, <laughs> which is uh, I don't think anybody expected that.
0: Well yeah, yeah. You're right there. I mean the Red Sox started out like sixteen and two and I mean what Bogart's had done has been amazing. But on their side, I think both these teams a scary thing, what we kinda agree, Steve, is they can play better. Boston isn't getting production from all of their lineup and the Yankees have done what they've done without really Stanton. Sanchez started to hit, but you know, those guys haven't been been doing well and yet they're they're on fire as well. I, I think the thing that, that stands out to both of these teams is they're tough to beat in their own in their own field. I mean, the Yankees are eleven and five at home, and and you know when they get rolling at home and their bats are going, it's just a ma- it's just a monster lineup. Boston, what what's the most intriguing part to me is their pitching has really held up. I had questions with both of these teams in terms of rotation, but so far they've definitely answered the call.
3: Yeah, I think arguably their worst starter right now is David Price, which who's still having a great year. And uh, going back to the point you said about home teams, they're mashing on home turf. What we've seen this year, by and large, is that home teams really aren't winning. There's a lot of bad teams, and there's a couple of really good teams. These two teams, I just think they're going to get better, which, as a fan of a team in this division, it does not look good uh, for the other three teams there.
0: Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. I mean, Toronto is is a solid team, and, and who knows how this will shake up? They look like they can compete for maybe a wild card spot. That second wild card spot. Uh, Tampa is right where we pretty much think they should be. Not the talent of Tampa teams of old. Steve, I'm sorry to say, but your Orioles don't look good. I mean, it's not. I'm not breaking any news there. <laughs> but that. But the. But it's. Is it. Disheartening, or is this what you expected? I know the Manny Machado cloud is circling over everyone's head. What are they going to do with him? Is he going to get moved at the deadline? But it had to be hard to expect a lot from this team, given what the roster hasn't done in the last couple of years. The Orioles have really gotten by in the past half decade or
3: so with what they call the stars and scrubs model. And they've gotten a lot of unexpected performance from players over the past few years that have helped them propel themselves to the playoffs. Uh, Steve Pierce, a couple of years ago, had a monster year, a five-war year. Chris Davis having that one incredible year as well. This year, things have finally come to a head. The pitching is, is certainly not there. Manny is having an incredible year. He's top five in most offensive categories and he's just making his trade value that much better. Where the frustration that the fan base comes is with that front office. Yeah. There doesn't appear to have been any conversations with Machado about an extension whatsoever, and it seems like a foregone conclusion. When you're already a team that has struggled developing a farm system, and you are going to likely just let your best player in a generation go they probably should have traded them last year. Um, I was on board that, and them playing up a string like this—it's it, sort of—it's disheartening, and it—it it does remind me of 1998, which I hope the next 15 years after this year aren't like the 15 years that preceded that.
0: Yeah, no, it's un- it's unfortunate, and the thing that. I- I get the front office issues because I've seen that with certain teams. Certainly the Indians have had their down periods where the front office thinks they can just ride it out. You can't ride it out in any pro sport because teams around you are getting better. And, yeah, I mean, the Machado thing hurts because he's a generational talent, and they're going to end up probably with a lot less than if they would have gotten out in front of moving him. So I feel, I feel your pain, especially watching the Red Sox and the Yankees do well. Uh, it, it's very unfortunate. I, I do want to talk about the American League Central, which has clearly been the worst division in all of baseball. Which is saying something, given some of the uh, some of the other divisions having down years as well. But Steve, the Indians are up in front of that division with just a 15 and 12 record. But every team in this division is at least two games. The Indians are eight and ten outside of the division. Every other team has got a horrific non-division record. So I don't think it's even close. How bad just top to bottom this division is.
3: Yeah, this this division's really rough. Every team, even the Indians, has a negative run differential. I think the Indians chopped it down to one one last night with their their win against the Rangers. The Indian pitching has been good though. That starting lineup's very, or the, well, the starting except very strong. It's except just, for one. Except for one guy. <laughs> you gotta get Town out of
0: the rotation because he's terrible. <laughs> um I think Four out of five is not bad, right? And you know what the thing is? Like he will be out of the rotation because they have some guys that are that are going to take his spot. I know um, Carrasco Salazar just are fully trying to get back to healthy. It's been a while since we've been able to say that. Uh, but the thing with the Indians, and I'll start with them. I mean, this is a team that that clearly is is playing for more than just the AL Central. That's a pretty low bar to hit given what they've done. They need they need another bat to step up. They're probably going to have to acquire someone at the trade deadline. I've never really felt more confident saying that in years past than now because the offense just kind of peters out. It's funny that they had Jay Bruce last year. They had Austin Jackson. They had an embarrassment of riches in the outfield. And now, that, I mean, that's how fast baseball changes. They're about one bat short. so. That's where I think they're, yeah. they're going to need the biggest help. But you look at the rest of this division. I mean, it is just... It, Detroit's never hasn't looked this sad in probably over a decade. The Twins, they overachieved last year. The White Sox are about what they were. And the Royals, I think, are the worst team in baseball. Yeah,
3: the Royals at this point are a tire fire. Uh, they can't win at home. They can't win on the road. In fact, at home, I think their year is over five. The White Sox... Are sort of hitting, uh, but they're still, I think, a couple of years out. Minnesota is a little interesting, though. I guess nobody really know, knew their true talent level after last year, and maybe they turn around, maybe they, they get towards that that eighty win plateau again. But Detroit, I mean, Detroit is sort of in a similar place to the Orioles, where they're on the definite downturn and they're they're working their way back to a rebuild. And, but with, so with Cleveland. If they can just keep it going and they can work through this and sort of get the, the hitting sorted out so Michael Brantley's not your best offensive producer, I think they walk with this division.
0: Yeah, they should. I mean, and it's all about rounding into form. And, and realistically, if they can get, you know that I mean it's going to be hard to get a top te- a top seed. I mean, look at what the playoff matchups are. If the Red Sox run away with that division, it's Indian Indians, Astros, or you know Angels first round. So <laughs> the AL's pretty stacked in relative years. I do want to mention one last thing. You brought up the Twins, and this is going back a ways, but where do you stand on unwritten rules in baseball? Because I know the Twins and Orioles had a little.
3: Oh <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm of the mindset that I think a lot of the unwritten rule stuff is pretty bogus. I like. Things like backflips, I think they're exciting. I think some personality to baseball is exactly what it needs. It gets younger fans excited, and it's also—I mean—there are, are cultural implications there too. Not everybody needs to play baseball the same way. Right. And I think the more we understand that, I mean, look how fun the World Baseball Classic was. It was a huge party, and it was during a time where really nobody watches baseball. Mm-hmm. So I think if we can get some of that into the, the regular season, it's only going to help the sport. So with the unwritten rules stuff, I'm hoping that goes away way the
0: dinosaur. I, yeah, well, there's so many hypocrites when it comes to unwritten rules in baseball. They were stealing bases in that inning as well, uh, in the inning before, you know, with the lead. And for the Orioles, I mean, I, I'm just a big, if someone's going to put the shift on, get on base any way possible. That's, that's the name of the game. And I don't think that, I, I just think it's the one sport where there's just so much sensitivity and this is how the game was played. It doesn't have to always be played a specific way. Uh, going forward. It's just, it's amusing to me as well. Steve Lenevy, Money Mitch Effect. The AL West, Steve, has been one of my favorite divisions to monitor. And it's interesting because we always, a lot of us just thought that, oh, the Astros won the World Series. They got better. They added Garrett Cole. This is going to be smooth sailing. The Angels and the Mariners came to play this year, at least early on. Otani on the Angels has been a breath of fresh air, to say the least. And the Mariners have a squad that's as deep a roster depth as any team that they've had in the last couple of years. Do you expect this to continue that all three of these teams, the Mariners and Angels, will join the Astros in being major players? I really do. Uh, I think
3: Houston, there's no reason they can't repeat. Altuve and Correa yeah, both with strong showings already this year. Verlander is still undefeated as a starter for the Astros since becoming an Astro. No one's hitting off of him. And his K-to-Walk ratio right now, he's throwing six strikeouts for every walk that he's delivering. And they're just staff in general. It's nearly unmittable. People are batting 200 against them. So, where the real surprise is is looking at how good Seattle is, and then looking at how good the Angels are. The Angels, if you're just a baseball fan, or you have at bat, and you're just watching some or MLB TV, and you're just watching some games, the Angels are a must-watch now. You have the best player potentially of our lifetime in. Mike Trout, and then you have Otani, who has been fantastic. He's been amazing at the plate. He's fun to watch, and he's been pretty good on the mound. People aren't hitting him, though, but when they do, they do tend to connect. But he's fun to watch. It's an exciting team. That's the kind of stuff that you really want to see. Uh, but Trout is sort of doing his regular Trout stuff. He already has north of two wins above replacement already this year. I think if they're pitching maintains, and I trust the Trout team to get to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, it's funny that both teams are just so great. It's a bizarre world that they're so great on the road and at home they've struggled. Uh, the Angels have hit three and seven in their last ten, so they're definitely on a downturn. But yeah, Otani's uh, Otani is just a, a, a game changer out there. He does a little bit of everything well. Um, for the Astros, what's funny is Keuchel hasn't even pitched well, so that's what would scare no. me. I'm a big like, let's everything's going to regress to the mean, and Keuchel is a damn good pitcher. He's going to pitch better. So they're 20-10 and 10 with one of their best pitchers, not not even close to form. The Mariners, I would like them a little more than the Angels just because I am a big depth, especially in that bullpen, and I think they have it this year. Uh, yeah, this this is going to be fascinating because you have no AL Central teams that are going to compete for a wild card, but you have at least three in each AL East and AL West that are going to be fighting down to the wire. So I think we're going to have some pennant races yet again. I agree. Um, dude, the one thing I have about the Mariners is that their pitching is, is
3: pretty suspect right now. Um, a lot of the starters, Felix looks looks pretty cooked. I mean, Edwin Diaz is, is probably the only pitcher right now that you don't want to throw in the trash. But incredible offensive production from Michanica, which has been a great story as well. There's so many great stories coming out of the West this year.
0: It's been exciting, and even Oakland at 500 hasn't exactly been terrible either, uh, Steve. If we go to the NL, I'm always intrigued by things that don't make sense early in the baseball season, and the NL East is not what any of us would have expected. It's almost like, I mean, the Marlins were last, we expected that, but the other four teams might be bizarro how, how you would look at it. The, the Nationals are fourth, the, the Phillies are third, which is a miracle in and of itself. But you have the Mets at 17-9, and nine and the Braves at 16-11. and 11. Mets, Braves, and Phillies all a couple games at least over five hundred. Is any of this going to stay the same, or are all these teams going to bounce back to earth? I know the Braves have been exciting with some of their new young players coming up, but are the Nats just going to rise to the top eventually?
3: I think they get closer. The two teams that I expect this to continue are, honestly, the Braves and the Phillies. The Phillies are, are into their rebuild. They're getting strong production from their young guys that they figured they'd get strong production from. Bryce Hoskins and Odubo Herrera. The pickup for Arietta has worked out quite well. And then you have Aaron Nola, who's a, who's a great starter. So with that, I expect to continue. And the Braves are, are maybe a year, maybe two years behind the Phillies. But they have Ronald Acuna. Um, has been amazing. <laughs> and he's 20. He's 20. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's the best prospect in baseball. And he's having a great start. But it's not just him. It's Dancy Swanson. It's, it's Ozzy Albis. A lot of production coming from those guys. I don't think their pitching is going to stay as strong. But they're fun to watch. And in that division, Miami is not good. And I don't think... I don't necessarily know if the Mets are going to continue to get MVP production from Esdruval Cabrera. He's playing a little bit above his head right now. But with Syndergaard and DeGrom... It's hard to say. I mean, you have two pitchers who were two of the scariest pitchers in the NL. Harvey is definitely having some struggles, but the Mets Pythag, uh, Pythagorean distribution right now is it has them about two games above 500. So I think they're going to fall back down to earth a little bit.
0: Yeah. With the Nationals, though,
3: um, the Shures is unbelievable. Everybody else appears to be pretty middling. I don't know what's going on with that team, honestly.
0: With the Nationals, I don't think they're hitting. I mean, that's the the crazy thing. I mean, they're not – I don't think they have anybody in their lineup. I'd have to check, but hitting over about 290. So they're just – they're not getting on base. I mean, we know Scherzer's amazing, and and Harper's going to do his thing from a power standpoint. Um, I I, I think maybe I'm just not sold that some of these teams can keep it going for 162. I mean, this is a great 30-game start, but we have 130 to go. So um, I I would say, though, that the Braves – would be a team that i would believe more than the other ones the phillies have, have done good in their rebuild and the mets have got out to a great start but that seems like an outlier the braves have i mean you brought up a good point they're young they have a lot of prospects this feels like it's that next wave of that astros cubs model of we're just going to go with the total youth movement and we're going to slowly get better along the way so maybe not this year but i'd be a, i'd be a buyer and a long-term investment of what the braves can do in the next three four years i agree completely it's going to be fun, uh, and the Nationals are another team that's—it's been daunting. They've won the division for a while, but they haven't had postseason success, and you wonder if they're up against the wall with some contracts coming up. So that'll be—that'll be fun as well. Steve Lindevee, Money, Mitch Effect, the NL Central as we keep moving along. Cubs have won five straight. They were 11 and 10. They're up to 16 and 10 now. They uh, have done it with some late inning drama and some close games. But this division quietly has four teams over 500. Only division in baseball that could say that at the moment: Pirates 17 and 12, Brewers 17 13, the Cardinals 15 and 12, and the Reds have just been a total dumpster fire at 7 and 22. <laughs> uh, actually, winning four games in the last ten, which is more than they won in their first 20. So they are they are just terrible. But the rest of the division looks pretty good. And I'll ask you this question: are, Is there any one contender you believe in more of the other three to challenge the Cubs?
3: And that's really hard to say. I don't think anybody expected the Pirates to do what the Pirates are doing. Honestly, it's, it's probably the Cardinals. You just don't expect that lineup to be that bad. Outside of Martinez and Pham, your big producing guys, Ozuna, Wong, Carpenter, Fowler, they're all... It's been rough thus far. Yadi had a hard start when he sort of leveled off, and he's he's about average. So, with that, once that lineup gets better, I think... They're going to probably leapfrog Pittsburgh. Milwaukee, it's hard to say. With, I mean, the lineup has power potential. Kane's having a nice year. Uh, Eric Kane's having a nice year. You do like their pitching. I know their, their closer, uh, former Oriole prospect Josh Hader, is having a very, very nice time. He had an incredible showing last night. So if some of that can hold up, maybe Milwaukee sticks around, but... One of the things about the Cardinals is you know they're always going to be pretty close to there. If Greg Holland can get it right, they'll have him and Bud Norris, who's had a strong showing as well. Jordan Hicks. It's hard to not see the Cardinals in that mix
0: right. towards the end of summer. You know it's interesting. I mean, all these teams have flaws, and I think that's why by default we like the the Cubs in this division kind of handily. The Pirates have been the most up and down team in baseball. It's I think they won they lost five games in a row right after winning five games in a row, so they they've been yeah. all over the place. Uh the Brewers were were looking like that team until the Cubs came in and or until they went to Wrigley and the Cubs just swept them right off the field. Here's my issue with the Cardinals right now. I mean I I think you're right, I lean to agree with you. But let's remember seventeen and twelve is their record, or fifteen and twelve, seven wins against the Reds. <laughs> so I wanna see it against the Reds. I want I wanna see it. I mean I, I believe that the hitting will get better, but I gotta see it against a team that's not as terrible. I mean, they literally have about half their wins against one team.
3: I mean that's that's how you make hay a lot of times in a certain division. So if if they can show against some of these better teams, and I know they're going to have a, it's not going to get much harder for them because I think their next series is against the White Sox. But if they can keep beating up on those bad teams, then I mean that gets you there.
0: By the way, the Cubs started seven and eight, and I just want to put, talk about Joe Madden and some of the moves he's made, and, and why I think he's one of the better, if not the best, definitely top two three manager in baseball. He put out Mora uh, as the as the leadoff man, and that was a game changer for them. I mean, it's they haven't really dealt with injuries, had haven't really shuffled guys out of the lineup, but just little subtle changes like that. Baez at the two hole, and uh, Schwarber Schwarber being in shape a little bit better now. I mean, this is a team that isn't even close to rounding in the groove.
3: Yeah, and two of their starters, uh Utah, and Jose Quintana, they're they don't seem right yet, but if they get there. I mean, they're they're still a very strong team, but again, Madden Madden does what Madden does. That's why he's, if not far and away the best manager in baseball, at least in that conversation.
0: Absolutely. Well, there's one division left to talk about, Steve, and that's the NL West. And I actually do want to start with a team nowhere near the top right now. That's the four four straight. I think it's yeah, four straight division time champions, the LA Dodgers, and they're 12 and 16. And it's been a really odd year out here for the Dodgers. Corey Seager. Just got, on, just got put on the, the DL for the season with Tommy John surgery at the shortstop position. Not an injury you normally hear. It, it's been weird. Jansen hasn't looked anything like his elite self. The pitching has been suspect. There's very little hitting and clutch moments. Dave Roberts benched Cody Bellinger for not hustling the other day. Is there is there a lot more that meets the eye, do you think, here? Or is this just an early team struggle by a team with high expectations? I mean, when you're best hitters in that camp, you know things are pretty weird. <laughs> I'd um, say so.
3: <laughs> they had a pretty long losing streak last year, and, and things turned out okay. I know some of the talk out in L.A. is that this team doesn't do anything exceptionally well. It doesn't have any specific strength. They're just a pretty well-rounded team. So I think they will be depending on on those guys to get back into form. With Seager being out, that is a pretty interesting loss, though. Enrique Hernandez is not Corey Seager. So does this potentially open up a, a landing spot for Manny Machado?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I just had that conversation with a Dodger fan who brought that up, that yeah. maybe this is a blessing in disguise because of that and because of the fact that you know the Dodgers are going to go all in. I mean, what is the division title to them at this point? When all they care about is their first World Series since '88. Um, I just think, I mean, I think it's stress, too. I think this is a team that, this isn't a team that's satisfied with anything other than winning a World Series. So any little thing's going to mean more when you have that environment that wants to win and needs to win right now.
3: And I think so. And they've played a lot of baseball the last few years. And, And so it does have to be pretty taxing, not only physically, but also mentally, to get in that headspace. And I think maybe that's even one of the issues that you're seeing with the Nationals, perhaps. that eventually some of this does get does worry a little bit though i do think that as a landing spot for machado um you know the orioles is any brain activity going on in that front office you know that they're going to trade him at the deadline or near the deadline why not push all the chips in Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah. Well, and and the other thing too with the Dodgers in this division, last year there were two teams that made the there were three teams that made the playoffs from this division, but it was kind of unexpected. We didn't go into the season thinking that there would be a, a huge powerhouse division. Steve the best team the team with the best record in the NL right now is the Arizona Diamondbacks. So the Dodgers are struggling, but they're also in a division with an absolute juggernaut through 28 games. The Diamondbacks were a playoff team. They won the wild card game last year. But Having said that, they look like a much better team to start the season. What do you think has been the main reason for that?
3: Patrick Corbin. The guy's unhittable. You have strong relief appearances coming out of that team as well. And then you have your, your standard contributors off of that team. You have Paul Goldschmidt, A.J. Pollock, who's having an MVP type year. And you had Peralta, but uh, he's now sidelined. So with him being sidelined and Robbie Ray being sidelined, you're going to really see what sort of depth this team has in the next few weeks. If they can get it through May at even 80% of the clip that they've been playing this far, I don't expect them to keep winning every series that they've played. But I think they're a real team. And I it's agree. hard not to say that they're a real team because look at that pitching staff.
0: It's disgusting. I mean, and, and really they, they can overcome a lot of these injuries because of the depth of that pitching staff and in their lineup. And yeah, I, This is a juggernaut, and maybe it's not the worst thing if the Dodgers are pushing to make a playoff spot and not really having to go all out to win the division, but I would be shocked if Arizona went anywhere given what they've done and and the potential that they have. The NL West, for years we thought, oh, Dodgers will just run away with it. Maybe the Giants will be there. They're 15 and 14. But the Diamondbacks have looked as good as any team, including the Red Sox and Yankees, and that might be the most impressive, shocking thing so far in the first month of the season
3: yeah and it's, it's been fun to see one of the real surprises in that division though, I don't know if it's a total surprise is mm-hmm. how bland Colorado's look mm-hmm. they sort of have done the, the stars and scrubs model for the past few years and it's worked out relatively for them but I don't think you can depend on that forever and it's, no. been, and it's sort of showing now So
0: certainly is well Steve Lenovey, this was a blast last thing before I let you go switching topics here what did you think of the Lamar Jackson pick as a Ravens fan?
3: So I was talking to our mutual friend Ryan Souls about yeah, this. Yeah. It is the most excited I've been okay. for a Ravens pick in a pretty long time. I think Lamar brings something very unique to the team. I like the idea of a dual threat quarterback. I like that in Baltimore a lot. Joe, as a Ravens fan, I'm appreciative of what Joe did. I also understand the offense has not been fun to watch in about five years. So whether that's lack of receivers or lack of a running game or at the quarterback position, I don't know. But if this is Ozzy's last draft, which it is, I was glad to pick Jackson. I wanted him from the get go.
0: I figured it was either one or the other. The people have strong feelings about Lamar, and uh, as a Ravens fan, I know that you have to appreciate Joe Flacco. Like there's no way you don't. <laughs> Regardless of how bad yeah. it's been, he still won a Super Bowl and got <laughs> hot at the perfect time. Um, But do you think Lamar Jackson, is it a complete long play? Like, we won't even really see him much on the field next year. When do you think we'll actually get to see him be the guy or attempt to be the guy in Baltimore?
3: I guess it depends on Joe's injury history. As you may recall, Joe got his first start because Troy Smith went down. So if, if Joe stays healthy this year, I don't think we see him much, except for maybe some designed run plays or... For some, some unique option pass plays this year. I think next year is when you really start seeing them. I know Joe's cap penalty is eliminated a year after this year or the next year, so that's when the ball really starts rolling. Maybe the Ravens end up cutting them if the cap number's too hot, which is weird to think. Uh, Super Bowl MVP getting cut from a team, but at this point, that's been over a half a decade ago, and I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's sort of a what have you done for me lately type of
0: conversation Right, well I'm excited to see too I think the long play is a smart play let him learn under that offense and really adjust the offense to him I think Marty Morningway put it best we're going to let him study and, and slowly make that transition so it should be exciting this is like quarterback heavy draft and you know Baltimore getting in on it means that there is a, an opportunity there so I'm excited to see what Lamar Jackson can bring to the NFL. I had to throw that in there at the end, but, uh, Steve, thanks for, Steve Leneuve, thanks for joining the show. We'll check back in during the summer when we have more clarity in this wild baseball race. Awesome. I look forward to it. That's it for today's show. Big thanks again to both guests, Matt Wittenberg and Steve Lenevy, for appearing on the program if you like the Money Mitch effect, you can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Share it, tell a friend, leave a five-star review and a great rating if you are into that sort of thing. There'll be more episodes, maybe one more this week. I'm thinking about that as well. Hockey playoffs are in full spring. How about in full swing? How about this? We are in the spring. How about this? Every single second round series went one to one. They split Every series split the first two games. First time that's happened since 1991. You have eight teams, all with over 100 points. It's a pretty evenly matched, to say the least. So hockey playoffs are in full spring, and the goal totals are insane. Watch that. Watch the NBA. We're down to eight in there as well, although it does feel like we might be down to two. But sports is in full effect. We got the Kentucky Derby this week. That's a great time as well. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.